0: You're listening to a podcast from the South China Morning Post.
1: You don't have to look very far on social media in the West to learn about the differences between Gen Z and millennials. Whether it's the fashion, how they use technology, how they learn, their attitudes in the workplace, or simply the many ways Gen Z and millennials drag each other on Instagram and TikTok. They're worried about their Harry Potter house, but they live in a one-bedroom apartment. Y'all worried about the wrong houses. I don't think they're that aesthetic. I just think I'm Gen Z, and I know how to use Instagram. Gen Z will be like, something traumatic happened to me yesterday, and it's like they were stuck in traffic. Zoomers declaring war on skinny jeans is one thing, but I still haven't recovered from when they discovered yoga pants and called them flared leggings. But right now in China, both of these generations have something very much in common and it's overwhelming any differences they might have. It's really hard to get a job. Tens of millions of people in their 20s can't find work. And that's on top of people in their 30s dealing with being considered too old to get hired. And what does Xi Jinping have to say about this? China's 70-year-old president, very publicly, had two words of advice for unemployed Gen Z and millennials. 吃苦 It literally translates as eat bitterness, a phrase that became popular during the 1960s and Mao Zedong's Cultural Revolution. And it means persevering through hardship without complaint. Keep in mind that Xi's experience of the Cultural Revolution was being sent from his home in Beijing to work on a farm a thousand kilometers away in Shaanxi, forced to live in a cave, digging ditches, and literally shoveling. Shit. So, okay, boomer. Xi Jinping has often talked about how this experience of severe poverty helped him appreciate the need for the Chinese Communist Party to address issues affecting everyday people. Right now, the issue for nearly 12 million Chinese college graduates is whether their degrees are worth the time and money they've spent years studying to achieve. Because they're finding out what millions of graduates from last year already know. Getting a degree doesn't actually guarantee you a job. At least, not the job they're hoping for. After more than 40 years of investing billions of dollars in building up the largest higher education system in the world, it turns out China doesn't need more college graduates. There's actually millions of job vacancies right now across China, but they're in factories and the manufacturing sector. And this highly educated new generation is just not interested in working the same way their parents or grandparents did. This is China's demographic revolution. I'm Jasmine Tse, and this is Episode 3, Millennials, Generation Z, and Higher Education. We've been focusing on the daughters raised during the 35 years of the one-child policy. But just like how there are Gen X, Millennials, and Gen Z, maybe you call them Zoomers, there are different attitudes depending on what decade you were born in. But these words, Gen X, Millennial, Gen Z, don't really translate in China for a number of reasons. Yes, they get divided into three cohorts, but in Chinese they're called Ba Ling Ho, Ling Ho, Ling Ling Ho. This translates to those born in the eighties, the nineties, and the two thousands. And of course, there's one thing they all share in common.
2: They were all children of the one child policy.
1: Dr. Ye Lu is a professor from King's College, London. We heard her speak in the previous two episodes about the women born during the one-child
2: policy. However, there are differences. If we look at the life course points, they have very different life opportunities. She says the Chinese
1: millennials,
2: those born in the 1980s, had exceptional life opportunities. For instance, they were the first generation who benefited from the beginning of expansion of higher education opportunity they basically captured that crucial moment of expansion of higher education university. And while Deng Xiaoping opened up China to overseas
1: investment, this cohort didn't just fill the universities inside China, they headed overseas to the universities in the US, Europe and Australia.
2: And when they graduated from a university, China also economy become further globalized. China joined the World Trade Organization in 2001,
1: which catapulted China's economic development forwards as more countries around the world found they could easily buy Chinese imports. This is how China became known as the world's factory and grew to become the world's second largest economy,
2: all the while lifting more than half a billion people out of poverty. And China's urban economy boomed. so they also had crucial employment opportunities. The 80s cohort got crucial employment opportunities. But for the
1: 90s cohort, and especially the 2000s cohort, it's a very different story. Youth unemployment rates have been high since 2020, and for the record high number of college students who are about to graduate, they've got a bachelor's degree, a master's, a PhD. In fact, in Beijing, there are more master's and PhD students who are going to graduate this year than undergraduate students.
2: However, they cannot translate their educational qualification into meaningful job opportunities because China's labor market was a completely different picture. So a lot of young people who had to take up jobs, they overqualified for their jobs. They can't find jobs
1: or they're overqualified for the ones they're currently doing. This has huge implications for the decisions they're making in their lives.
2: So professional insecurity and the lack of opportunity further constrained the younger co-hosts, Zhou Ho and Li Ling Ho from getting married, from becoming parents.
3: I have been covering the job market for two years and the youth unemployment rate has been gradually increasing since the end of 2020. And it would traditionally drop a little after the summer, but it hadn't had a significant improvement since the end of 2020. Luna Soon is a reporter on a political
1: economy desk. She covers China's economy and social issues, and she's based in Beijing. Can you give us an idea of the conditions that last year's college graduates are dealing with?
3: Yeah, in July last year, youth unemployment hit a record high and that was seen as related to the zero COVID policies, but the job market hasn't returned in the 12 months since. In February, I was talking to both job seekers and companies and they were extremely worried. A lot of people in white collar jobs like finance and marketing, all of them are concerned about losing their jobs. I also spoke of gaming companies, recruitment agencies, they're hiring far fewer candidates in the past year. In some cases, they're seeing hundreds of applicants for one or two positions being advertised.
1: So for last year's college graduates, do we know how many actually got jobs?
3: Yeah, according to a survey published by Mocha, which is an online human resources service provider, around 45% of graduates received no-job offers during last autumn's hiring season. Well, 3% of them received more than seven offers. And this year in May, the jobless rate for the 16 to 24 age group hit a record high of 20.8%. What's also happening this year
1: is a record high of nearly 12 million college graduates who are going to try to enter the workforce, which is expected to push the youth unemployment rate up even higher. But to clarify, conditions apply to China's employment statistics because the government counts anyone who has worked at least one hour a week as employed. Some universities have reportedly been trying to boost employment rates by pressuring their students to get jobs before they graduate. Many of these students are now flexibly employed, meaning they're working part-time, temporary, seasonal or freelance jobs. And as long as they're working at least one hour a week, They're
3: not part of the 20.8% unemployment figure. I talked to Lu Feng, a professor with uh, Beijing University recently. He said the problems won't just disappear in the short term and it will remain unsolvable for a while. So when he says
1: this is for the short term, how long does that actually mean?
3: So Lu Feng believes that it would take at least two years or three years for the youth unemployment rate to drop to a balanced state as the high number of college graduates only adds to the employment pressure already due to the lackluster economic recovery. China is currently
1: in this economic recovery stage after the Beijing central government ended its three years of border closures and harsh zero-COVID policies late last year. You earlier mentioned that this high youth unemployment rate could be seen as related to the zero-COVID policies. Could you tell us a bit more about that? How have three years of those policies affected the job prospects for these younger people?
3: China's post-reopening economic rebound haven't really been satisfying. And a lot of analysts are saying that the recovery has lost its momentum. And that has resulted in a lack of confidence in labor demand, especially among uh, small and medium-sized enterprises in the private sector. And businesses usually prefer to increase employee over time rather than adding new positions.
1: So you said that these companies, they would rather have their employees work overtime than hiring new people. That sounds like a real obstacle for these fresh graduates who have basically no work experience.
3: Yes, because the job market is already full of people who stayed unemployed or in transitional jobs during the pandemic would re-enter the job market, which would further intensify the competition. And that would make the situation very difficult for fresh graduates who have little to no experience. They don't want fresh graduates because there are already uh, experienced candidates in the market. And analysts are saying that this is fundamentally a confidence problem. Companies are reluctant to hire because of the soft consumer demand, while consumers are reluctant to spend because of the weak labor market.
1: Confidence about the present and the future is shaky, but there's also some baggage from the past weighing on the prospects for the class of 2023. Here's what Guo Sheng, the CEO of China's largest online recruiting platform, Zhao Ping, had to say when quoted in a piece re-reported about the current hiring crisis. Science majors are okay, men are
0: okay, and those from well-known universities are okay.
1: According to Guo, what's not okay are women who graduated from lesser-known universities with non-STEM degrees, such as humanities, business, education, arts. So, more than half a century since Mao Zedong said women hold up half the sky, young women in China are still a long way from being treated equally. How has the government responded to this hiring crisis? Have they implemented any practical solutions or are they just saying to eat bitter?
3: The government has a rolled out measures to help recent graduates to get employed and that includes adding new positions and state-owned companies and hosting job fairs to connect employers and fresh graduates. But analysts are calling for more measures to ease the pressure in the job market. Uh, For example, one of the key measures analysts suggested is to raise the confidence level in the private sector by addressing their concerns. Because the private sector accounts for more than 80% of urban workforce, and the government should further minimize policy impact to ensure government supervision is transparent. Because the regulatory crackdown in the private tutoring, real estate, and internet sectors has severely affected the employment situation of young people. How did those
1: crackdowns affect the employment situation of young people? Those are the companies that used to take in a lot of fresh graduates and young workers. It's worth a moment here to recap exactly what Luna was talking about there when she mentioned crackdowns, because they had a huge effect on the kinds of jobs new graduates like to go for. The two biggest crackdowns have been on the tech industry and on the after-school tutoring industry. The tech crackdown started with gaming, restrictions on how many hours a week kids were allowed to play computer games, what types of games they were playing. Then that escalated into new rules on data privacy, algorithms, and IPOs. As a result, China's massive video gaming industry, valued at over 40 billion U.S. dollars, suffered its first drop in revenue after 20 years of non-stop growth in sales. And video game development in the world's largest gaming market basically stopped. Companies stopped hiring, and fairly soon after that, thousands of mostly young people lost their jobs. And then came the crackdown on the after-school tutoring industry. In mainland China, you have to sit the Gaokao exams to get into college. It's what Americans would call the SAT and ACT. And because there's so much competition to get into the top universities, a multi-billion dollar industry in after-school tutoring was created. The industry grew so big that some of the biggest Chinese tutoring companies were listed on Wall Street. But in 2021, new regulations came in that banned any foreign investments in these companies, banned foreigners outside of China from teaching, banned all tutoring on weekends and holidays, and demanded all private, for-profit companies that offer tutoring on the school curriculum to become non-profit. It shut down companies overnight and destroyed an entire industry in under a month, and an estimated 3 million people lost their jobs. And no surprise, women and young people were the biggest losers. So now, this generation who has driven so much of China's economy with their spending and their appetite for high-tech, high-quality products find themselves being very picky with how they spend their money. And that has massive implications for the Chinese economy.
0: I think when the media or when the government officials pick that up, from their perspectives, they think that the young people aren't working hard enough. They aren't hustling. They aren't doing whatever to get any jobs they can.
1: This is Yang Jiang. Back in episode two, we heard about her experience growing up during the one-child policy. She's also an independent journalist covering consumer habits in mainland China. And she runs an email newsletter on Substack called Following the Yuan.
0: But I think from my perspective and from these young people's perspectives, they still want to work hard, but they don't want to waste time or eat bitter. But I think given the larger economic downturn, they do feel that like they tend of have to clench their wallet when it comes to eating and dining out. They still want to go out, but they don't want to spend so much. So what they do, they spend on like low budget foods, items, and they go to convenience stores for drinking. Yao Ling also
1: said these young adults still want to travel, but it's all about going to as many places as possible while spending as little money as possible. They call this the special
0: forces style tourism. That basically involves graduates going to a lot of places without any rest. And the reason they don't want to rest is because they, they don't want to spend money on hotels. They would rather spend money on travel. And for example, if I have, if I just I have a two-day holiday and I go to maybe a tourism city, for example, Zibo in Shandong province. I can go there and as a group so that's cheaper for tourism spending. And also I come back, maybe I come back on the same day if I'm closer and we don't have to spend any money on hotel. There's even been
1: reports of college students spending the night at a Chinese hotpot chain, Heidi Lao, which is open 24-7.
0: Those are the just two small trends I've seen that reflect people's mindset that they still want to have fun, but at the same time they don't want to overspend because they still haven't got their job and like life plans sorted.
1: Luna, we just talked about people in their 20s, but what
3: about those in their
1: 30s? What kind of challenges are they facing in the job market?
3: I think Chinese job seekers across the board are finding their job search very uneasy in the face of the employment prospect and the country's uneasy economic recovery.
1: But it's a different situation for those in their 30s. Many are worried they'll lose the jobs they currently have, so they're looking to jump ship. But they got to be careful that the ship they're jumping into isn't already sinking.
3: And right now, for people a few years in their career, changing jobs is also becoming less financially reasonable, yet increasingly risky. Because right now, the chances of failing to pass a probation period at the new job are growing greater due to higher expectations and demands. So right now, workers all agree that they need to hang in there under the current difficult environment. I guess that's a case of eating bitter.
1: Millions of people can't find a job, but that's only half of the equation because companies of a certain sort are also having trouble hiring.
3: Despite the oversupply of white collar workers, the manufacturing sectors across the country are still struggling to hire skilled engineers and blue collar workers. And that reflects the mismatch between the jobs young people are looking for and the jobs that are in demand.
1: The manufacturing sector is in desperate need of more skilled workers. But the fresh graduates have just gotten their degrees, and they don't want to work in factories.
3: These kids, they go to school for 18 years or even longer, and they they don't want to graduate and go to the factory and do some work that they didn't need the education for. For these fresh graduates who already completed their degrees in marketing or finance or education, they don't want to waste the years of hard working and then go back to a factory that they didn't need the education or the degrees for. There's definitely some bias playing a part in the job preference, but they could have gone to work in the factory after they graduated from an occupational school. So I think it's, it's more about the fact that they were promised a decent white collar career while they could not acquire that sort of lifestyle
1: so the government has a real problem right now it's got millions of college graduates with degrees who can't get a job and there's its huge manufacturing sector that has a bunch of blue-collar positions that it can't fill how is the government going to resolve this
3: yes as you said the problem is really severe according to a government report By 2025, there will be nearly 30 million manufacturing jobs in China that will go unfilled. That's about half of all jobs in the sector. And this lack of skilled engineers is further intensifying the pressure on manufacturers. But the young people nowadays need to realize that factory jobs do pay a lot more. And Christoph Schrimp, the general manager of Airbus, said in an interview in April that it's vital to change the public perception now and for people to know that the blue-collar workers are not the same as 50 years ago.
1: Factory jobs may pay a lot more, but that doesn't mean much for the Lingling Ho, the
3: 2000s cohort. I think young migrant workers also prefer gig jobs like delivery drivers. Those gig jobs are more fun and they get to walk around and meet different people and see different places, while... For a factory job, they just sit in the factory all day. It's no daylight, and that's boring for a lot of young people. And they would rather go to see things and talk to different people and gain their experience.
1: So Luna, you talk about these young migrant workers who want to do gig jobs because they get to meet new people. I mean, that's not about making more money. It's really about their attitude towards work. And in the West, there's also a lot of discussion about how Gen Z have different ideas of what is acceptable in the workplace. Can you tell us how that translates in China?
3: I think nowadays, young people have less uh, familial and financial burdens. So they're not so mentally burdened to please their bosses in the office. They are more freed from the societal restrictions to say yes to everything that your bosses say, which is a more traditional norm in the Chinese society. But now the younger people want to live their true selves. If they don't want to do something, they don't do it. And if they don't like the job, they just quit the worst thing would just be, you know, go back home and their parents would support them with their pension. So there's really not that much burden. And for most of these young people, they're the only child in the family. So there's no pressure and there's no burden. There's a phrase in
1: Chinese to describe this, which means the 2000s cohort rectifying the workplace. My colleague, Mandy Zuo, spoke with a woman in Shanghai named Xiao Zhang. She's 23 years old and part of the 2000s cohort, and she had some thoughts about rectifying the workplace.
4: I do think that the workplace should be rectified because I think that bosses are clearly exploiting the employees in some jobs. They expect you to do a lot of work and even if you're off-duty, you still have to obey the arrangements and complete the task. Or you have to work overtime and continue to produce value for the company. But the bosses don't consider the feelings of the employees. If I work for you, I can produce my own value. But you should give me a higher salary and overtime pay if you want me to work harder for you. If you can't do that and both sides are equal, then you have no right to demand that I listen to you because I think both sides are equal and independent. The boss always thinks that the employee should listen to him unconditionally, but I think that the boss should grow up and understand that if he continues to behave like this, he will lose his employees. We are not here to serve him, we are just using our own value to create some profits. The boss should consider this and that's probably why many in the 2000s cohort are quitting their jobs. I think it's not our problem, it's the boss's problem. They still believe that employees should serve their boss unconditionally, but in fact, we all have the same goals and nobody is serving anyone.
1: The workers have nothing to lose but their jobs? It's not exactly the Communist Manifesto, but it gives you an idea of how they're exercising the only power they've got, their labor. Xiao Zhang had quit her job after the company didn't follow through with a promise they had made initially. She now works at another company, but it doesn't pay as much, so she needs to find an additional part-time job to pay her rent. She said it's not easy to find a job right now, but she's not going to work for a company that doesn't align with her values. This is how she sums up her generation's
4: attitudes and how they're very different from what's come before. I believe everyone is free. First of all, I think the 2000s cohort may have the idea that we are independent individuals who are free to choose what we want to do. We have the freedom to do anything we want, and we have this confidence and freedom. It's not like in the traditional society where people would do things according to the norms. We are more self-centered and we pursue what we like. If there's anything we don't want to do, it doesn't matter how good it is, we won't do it. So our confidence may come from not valuing authority too much. Our thinking is more equal. It's not like in the past where there were class differences and the boss was the boss and the elders were the elders. Our generation values equality more and we are all equal. So we have the right to choose to leave or not to leave. I think that's how it is.
1: It's a pretty big call for a Chinese woman to say she has the freedom to do anything she wants. But maybe this is a sign, a symptom even, of how the attitudes of China's Gen Zs have changed as the conditions around them have changed. They're not working just for the money. They're not putting up with bad bosses. If they don't like something, they'll just quit. They like to have fun. And if that means clenching their wallets a bit, so be it. But the system they live in hasn't changed. Society is still pressuring them to get a good job, buy a house, get married, start a family. Meanwhile, unmarried women can't get their eggs frozen. And in many provinces across China, single mothers can't get a birth certificate for their children, meaning they don't legally exist and can't go to school or get health care. When people's attitudes and the system clash, something's got to give. And for some, they're choosing to opt out of the system altogether. Luna, can I ask you about lying flat and letting it
0: rot?
3: Are people talking about that? I think people stopped talking about it in particular when it has become the norm. What do you mean the norm? Is it like everyone's lying flat or letting it rot? I think that's a general atmosphere shared by a lot of the workers nowadays. Among my friends working in different sectors, I think that's a general feeling, the general uh, vibe that's overshadowing our work life.
1: That's what we're going to learn more about in our next episode.